0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, verse 66, Uh, it says verse 63 there, but that's my fault, I wrote, told Kim the wrong verse, Mark 14, 66 to 72. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the trial, the, the ecclesiastical trial, the church trial, the religious trial of Jesus and uh We saw there some things about how Jesus is our substitute. We're going to see a similar thing today, but maybe through the eyes of someone, through the life and experience of someone with whom we can identify a little bit better in the person of Peter and his denial of Jesus. Mark 14, 66 through 72. This is God's word. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself She looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word and write its truth upon our hearts today. On June 18, 1940. Winston Churchill, barely six weeks in office as Britain's prime minister and confronted with the threat of invasion from then-Nazi-occupied France, rose in the House of Commons and in 36 minutes of soaring oratory sought to rally his countrymen with what has gone down in history as his finest hour speech. That speech ended with these words, Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. That speech has resonated ever since on both sides of the Atlantic and even beyond. It has been hailed as the moment when Britain found the resolve to fight on after the fall of France and ultimately in alliance with American and Russian military might to vanquish the German armies that had overrun most of Europe. We still use that phrase, finest hour today. We talk about his finest hour or our finest hour. Well, today we see two people facing personal peril. The first person, Jesus, is rising to the occasion. And we do say that what he accomplished on the cross was his finest hour. And indeed, uh, it was our finest hour, for that matter, because of what he accomplished for us there. But the second person, Peter, uh, we see him crumbling in the face of peril. This is anything but his finest hour. In fact, I believe we can confidently say that this is his worst hour. And what makes it worse is the resolve that he expressed not more than hours before the events we just read about. If you look back at verses 26 to 31, after the Lord's Supper in the upper room, uh, they sing a hymn, they go out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus tells them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now in our passage that we just read, we see Peter doing exactly the opposite of what he thought and said he would do. He has compromised his standards in a way he never imagined possible. It is his worst hour. Well, it's not difficult for us to identify with Peter here. Have you ever done something so bad that you didn't even think you were capable of doing, something you never imagined that it was possible? for you to do have you ever made a promise or a commitment only to turn around and do exactly the opposite of what you said your intentions were right but you failed the test or maybe you find yourselves in bad circumstances because of your sin and you've become a person living a life not of your best dreams but of your worst nightmares or maybe it is something more subtle You have not become the person you thought you would be because of your sin. And now you find yourself dissatisfied with who and what you have become. Well, no matter where we are, we can all identify with Peter. And there's something here for all of us today from God's word. Peter is really teaching us about ourselves in the text before us. And yes, we can identify with what he is doing and experiencing we want to ask ourselves the question where did peter go wrong where did he go wrong how did he go from being a a follower of jesus you know leaving everything to follow jesus committing to follow him and doing whatever and not denying him showing great resolve and passion to collapsing absolutely collapsing in the face of a servant girl and others who accused him of being a follower of Jesus? Where did he go wrong? And, and how can we avoid that collapse or recover from a collapse like Peter's? Well, two things. Two things that I think will help us today. And the first is this, do not have the wrong goal. And the second is, do not have the wrong basis. So do not have the wrong goal and do not have the wrong basis Those are my two points today, and I'll explain them both in a little detail because I realize those points don't really help you at all uh, unless you have a little more explanation than, than what I've given. Well, first of all, do not have the wrong goal. The first mistake Peter makes is that he was using Jesus to get what his heart really wanted. If you use Jesus to get something besides Jesus then you're going to be disappointed. And when you get disappointed that Jesus didn't give you what you wanted, you will stop following Jesus because you will say, following Jesus is not giving me what I really want and deserve, so why should I continue? Let me explain this more deeply. We invest in an inordinate amount of our hopes and dreams in scenarios that we develop for how our life should go. And we have a picture in our minds of what would be a good life. And if you are here today, you may have decided that Christianity is the path to take to gain a life that will make you happy. You're following this path, and you believe God will bless you and make you happy. You believe that following biblical principles is the way to a happy, productive, and positive life. And as long as you follow this path, God will bless you. That almost sounds good, but it's wrong. Peter thought the same thing. He thought that leaving everything to follow Jesus would get him power and status in the world. You see the difference? He was following Jesus to get power and status. What did he really want? He wanted the power and the status. Jesus was just one of many means he could have used to to do that. The other disciples were the same. Jesus has been trying to help them understand this over and over again. But they just don't get it. If you flip back a few chapters to chapter 8, he tells them in 8.31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning, seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Peter had his eyes on the things of man. Jesus can't die. He won't accomplish all the goals. That's why I'm following you, Jesus, so you'll come into power, so you'll be the king. And, And when you become the king, you'll start handing out in your new regime positions. And I want to be in one of those lofty positions. And then right after he says that to Peter, he calls the crowd along with the disciples and he says, If you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. See, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not just to be a follower of Jesus in order to get handed a position of power and authority. No, following me means that you're going to go where I go, taking up your cross and following after me. And then chapter 9, again... Jesus teaches the disciples, verse 30, 31, uh, the Son of Man is going to be be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. See, they, they weren't understanding what Jesus had come to accomplish. And then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. You see, Jesus is talking about dying, and they're... I don't, what not is he talking about? But now, let's talk about who's the greatest when Jesus comes into power. They're ignoring what Jesus is talking about, and they're only worried about themselves. Who was the greatest? Who was going to be first in line to get the handouts when Jesus becomes king? And then in chapter 10, again, Jesus... Uh, predicts his death. They give giving more detail. Chapter 10, verse 33. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And then James and John come up to him and says, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And he said to him, and they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. James and John. They're there. Wait now, okay? When you again, not even understanding what Jesus is talking about dying, but just wanting the positions of power. And James and John, yes, we're talking about Peter here, but it tells us. When the other disciples found out what James and John had asked, it says that they'd gotten they were indignant at James and John. Look, James and John are they're jumping in the they're jumping in the line. They're going ahead. They're trying to curry favor with Jesus behind our back. But we want those positions. See, Peter and the other disciples had hitched their wagon to Jesus in order that when he became king, they would be in line with the positions in the new regime when they were being handed out. And now, here in chapter 14, we see all their dreams are dying right before their very eyes, even though Jesus had warned them that this was the very thing that was going to happen. Now imagine what it was like with Peter. You know He had built a scenario up in his mind. This is how my life is going to go. I'm following Jesus. I've left everything to follow him and and I'm going to get blessed for it. And now he sees Jesus being falsely accused, being uh, beaten, and the bad guys are winning. He's not overcoming evil and injustice, but the bad guys are, are having the upper hand. Peter had left everything for Jesus, and now what? Peter's cowardice and lying are easy to understand, and he's now defenseless. He has no inner resources, and he's just acting out of self-preservation at this point. Now what happens when our life does not turn out the way we think it should? What happens when following Jesus does not result in the life we imagined? What happens when Following Jesus did not make us happy. Well, we turned somewhere else to make us happy. And that's when we find ourselves doing things that are quite against our moral principles. We have to ask ourselves, are we on a happiness quest or are we on a Jesus quest? And there's a difference between following Christianity and following Christ. Let me give you an example. There's... Countless television preachers, like Joel Osteen, for one. He has so many people listening to him because he is telling them that following Jesus will make them wealthy and healthy. His audience thinks that money and health is the way to happiness, and they're using Jesus to get it. Jesus is not the goal. It's just the means to the goal. The real God they're pursuing is the idol of money and health. Now, that's a blanket statement, and I don't know everybody's heart that listens to Joel Osteen or the others, but that certainly is the temptation to hear these false teachers teach. Do not use Jesus to get what you think will make you happy. You will only be disappointed and will soon be turning elsewhere to cope with the disappointment and or to find happiness. Pursue Christ and Him alone. And when you put yourself in His hands, you know, the journey may take you through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't have to fear evil because his rod and staff are there to comfort us and he's with us wherever, he, wherever we go. We know that we have him and that's all we need. And that's the difference. So Peter, he's going to get it sooner or later. Uh, it's going to require Jesus rising from the dead, coming back and for 40 days, teaching them, revealing himself to them and helping them to understand what it's all about. And, and things begin to crystallize for him. But at this point, he's got the wrong goal. He's going to make an adjustment, and he's going to understand. And we need to do the same thing sometimes. It's easy to fall in to having the wrong goal. Now, second of all, don't have the wrong basis. The second reason Peter collapsed was that he overestimated his own ability and underestimated his own sinfulness. It goes hand in hand with the first point. You get the wrong goal and the wrong basis for reaching that goal. I believe following Jesus will make me happy by gaining for me certain things based on my righteousness. I believe if I follow Jesus, this would be the wrong way of thinking, I believe that following Jesus uh, will will make me healthy and, and wealthy. And if I have health and wealth and if I have all this money, then I'll be happy. And God's going to give it to me because I'm faithfully following His rules and His laws. See, Peter thought he was trusting in Christ, but he was really trusting his own competence and righteousness and wisdom. After all, he was Jesus' disciple. So his real basis was his own righteousness. I have left everything to follow you, Jesus, and I'm not going to turn away. Uh, I'm going to be in line and ready for those blessings when they come because I've been faithful to you no matter what. He had the resolve, he had the commitment, and this was going to carry him through against any odds. All of the rest of them may desert you, Jesus, but I never will, even if I have to, do, even if I have to die. Well, we do the same in life. Uh, we, we have the wrong goal, and we think if we're good enough, we're faithful, God is going to bless us for it. If we have the wrong goal, that's the first problem. The second one is that we're overestimating ourselves. We can't be faithful enough to earn those favors we think we can stand but we can't we think we are trusting christ but we're really really we're resting in our own goodness and moral performance for which we believe god will bless us and our real goals are various forms of approval power comfort control with which we believe god will bless us but when the circumstances come and reveal the depths of our spiritual and moral weakness like it did for peter or call into question whether we will reach our life goals, then we will collapse just like Peter did. We overestimate ourselves in our righteousness and think that that's going to get us through, just like Peter did. Why do we do that? We know we're sinners. You hear it every Sunday. But we tend to overestimate. I do the same thing. I really enjoy golf. I'm a really bad golfer. Jeff will testify to that case. He's bad too, but he beat me. So there we go. But on the course, I often find myself angry when I hit a bad shot. And I mean often because I hit a lot of really bad shots. Why do I get angry and frustrated? Well, it's because I overestimate my ability and underestimate how bad a golfer I really am. Why do I expect to hit a perfect shot every time when every past experience I've had on a golf course tells me that I'm more likely, I mean a large percentage, likely to hit a bad shot every time? I mean, the odds are very, very good that I'm going to hit a bad shot and, I mean, are minimal that I'm going to hit a good shot. But I get so frustrated when I don't hit it because I've overestimated myself and we do the same thing we overestimate ourselves and our righteousness just like Peter did Peter has been warned about it he's been told verse chapter 14:27 uh, to 31 he's told about the cowardice of his heart you're going to deny me but he did not believe Jesus he only began to weep in repentance after he denied Christ. now the Bible tells us, too, that we are sinners, that we're self-centered and cowardly. Will we laugh off such an assessment of ourselves, not taking it seriously? Or will we begin to repent now and look to humbly depend on God and make changes now? I like car restoration shows, like Fast and Loud and Overhauling. Uh, they take old cars and uh, restore them and sell them, and or restore them for a person who's been trying to restore them and couldn't. I uh, really enjoyed the transformation. This piece of junk that they had, and these guys are experts, and they make it look brand new. Well, yesterday I was watching one of these shows, and they took this old 1960s Ford. It, it was out in a field. Uh, it was, you know, there was weeds growing through the bottom of this thing. It, it was completely rusted. There was no engine in it, and the Tires were literally rotten on the thing. And these guys bought it for just a few dollars, and they completely restored that car, put a big old new engine in it, and turned it into this sweet-looking dragster, and then they sold it for tens of thousands of dollars. A complete restoration, complete overhaul of this thing. And we've got to recognize that we're like that old car. We need a complete overhaul. We need a complete restoration. And Mark is showing us what Jesus has done to do just that. You see in this passage, Mark is a master storyteller. He's meaning us to compare and contrast Jesus and Peter. Peter didn't recognize his own brokenness and his own sinfulness and how he needed God's grace let's not make that same mistake, but recognize it that we need, because we're so broken, we need what Jesus is doing for us. What did Jesus do for us? We see the comparison and contrast of Peter and Jesus in five separate ways here. Both Peter and Jesus are being questioned. Jesus was being interrogated by the whole Sanhedrin and the high priests, verses 55 and 61. Meanwhile, Peter is questioned only by a mere servant girl. Two, both Peter and Jesus are being charged with something that will get them into great trouble. However, the charges against Jesus are false, while the charges against Peter are completely true. He, he was a disciple of Christ. Three, both Peter and Jesus respond to the charges. However, while Jesus professes and declares the truth, Peter denies the truth. Four, Both Peter and Jesus are with the guards. However, Jesus tells the truth despite the consequences and he is beaten by the guards, even though he's innocent. Meanwhile, Peter denies the truth for the sole purpose of avoiding consequences and so he sits and warms himself with the guards, the very guards that are going to beat Jesus. And then finally, both Peter and Jesus are cursed. However, Jesus receives the condemnation of the Sanhedrin unfairly Meanwhile, Peter actually brings down the curse on himself in verse 71. May I be cursed and condemned if I am his follower. Peter is self-condemned and justly. Why this comparison and contrasting that Mark is doing here for us? Well, Mark's trying to make a point. Jesus is our substitute. The one who is completely blameless and innocent is pronounced guilty and bears the curse and the penalty that we deserve. And the one who is guilty goes free. And that's what Jesus has done for us. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I quoted it to you last time, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is double imputation. Our sin is imputed to Christ, is credited to Christ, transferred to christ and god's righteousness is imputed credited transferred to us and that's how we are accepted not on anything that we've done because we stink we're we're worse than that old car we need a new car to be put in our place and jesus is that one the perfect car the perfect human being the perfect savior and we have to see this salvation comes by weakness that was the plan all along, and what Jesus was trying to tell them. He, he dies in weakness and it becomes enormous strength. He is raised from the dead and comes back in power. And this salvation that comes by weakness is appropriated in weakness, in repentance, in faith, in faith, in recognizing that we are broken. We need a savior. We need someone outside ourselves to save us and there is someone there whom we can call upon and depend on who has done it for us. We cannot do it ourselves. And it's only when we come to that point that we can receive this wonderful salvation that Jesus is procuring even for Peter while Peter is denying him. Jesus did that for us even while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Bible tells us. How do we avoid a collapse like Peter's? First of all pursue Christ, this wonderful Savior that we have. Second of all, recognizing that you can't do it on your own. You can't do it. You can't earn it. It's it's something that has to be given as a free gift. You have to recognize your own sinfulness and you appropriate it through turning from your sin, confessing your sin and putting your trust in this wonderful Savior who's doing so much for us. And God help us to not collapse like Peter, but to live in utter dependence upon him for all things. Let's pray together.